0: Our reading is on page 1129 of the Bibles in the pews, if you want to follow along. Page 1129, and we're reading Romans chapter 2, page 1129. Paul writes to the church at Rome, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing, at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges People's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have the law, you have in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks for reading, Dick. Gosh, you're tall, aren't you? Let's get rid of that. Normal, sir, New, knew someone, Yeah. I feel like Russ, Dick, and Rob have got a Thomas Small thing going on today, but there we go. I'll get over that, that's fine. I want to introduce you this morning to two friends. Uh, first one is uh, Gemma. Uh, she's one of these people who's, who's really outgoing, the kind of person who oozes confidence. Uh, the person, she, she's got a massive circle of friends. Um, Yet those who know Gemma and are part of that circle never really feel like they get to know Gemma all that deeply. Um, She's uh, kind of bounced from job to job. Uh, She's never quite settled any job she's um, been in, uh, and she's been let go from far too many of her jobs, really. Uh, Gemma's in the habit of spending money that she doesn't have. Uh, Life for Gemma is about uh, big nights out, big hangovers, and quite a few big regrets. She kind of has a dysfunctional relationship with her family. Uh, She's single. There's been a series of one-night stands. And and actually, some of her friends are getting quite worried about her and are thinking of kind of staging an intervention. Uh, But they've just found out uh, that Gemma's pregnant. And then there's Ethan. Ethan compared to Gemma. Well, Ethan's life is a lot quieter, quite a bit calmer. Well, it appears to be anyway. Uh, Ethan, Ethan has been a solid worker. He kind of smashed his way through school, uh, got to university, did well at university, got onto a grad scheme, uh, and since then has been a sort of steady line of promotions uh, for him. Um, steady would be the word to describe Ethan. Uh, he's uh, steadily paying off his mortgage. He's got a, a steady marriage. He's got two young children, uh, and he's steadily paying into his pension pot. He's the kind of person, he gives uh, blood regularly, he keeps his lawn nice and neat, he's involved with his local church, he's the kind of person, if you're honest, he'd love to move in next door to you, very little drama, friendly hellos, and yeah, Ethan's got a small group of friends and it just seems with Ethan that he keeps, uh, he's, he's, he's very careful about what he shares with those around him. And if I'm honest, Gemma and Ethan struggle with each other. Ethan looks at Gemma and thinks, what a mess. Gemma looks at Ethan and goes, what a judge. I suspect between us, we will relate uh, to one of those characters more than the other. You'll be more, more like Gemma, more like Ethan. I wonder if Gemma and Ethan were here this morning, which one of them you'd find yourself uh, talking to? Which one's easier to relate to? I wonder if they came in this morning, which of them would feel more at home with us? I wonder which one of them has Jesus on their side. I suspect you're already there. Gemma and Ethan are my imaginary friends. They don't really exist except for up here. I made them up, and I'm in good company about making up two characters whose lives on the outside look totally different. One kind of living it up, one living respectably. Jesus did that, didn't he? One of his most famous stories, Luke 15. Anyone know the story? The lost son, the prodigal son. Yeah, you know the story. Uh, uh, Two brothers. One goes to his dad and says, "I can have the inheritance now? I want my share now. He goes off, spends it on lavishly living it up. Uh, until it's all gone he ends up hungry and living with the pigs he decides to head home hoping against hope that his dad might give him a job as one of his servants and yet if you know the story as he comes close to the home he finds his dad running out towards him hugging him putting him in the finest robe throwing a great party great celebration. And the older brother, the second son, stands outside, angry, feeling like his respectable life is worth nothing. It's been ignored whilst his wasteful brother is celebrated. Who's the lost son in the story? Well, at the beginning, it seems like it's the, the, the brother who lives it up, the younger brother. Yet halfway through this story, the father says in the middle of the party, rejoice with me, my son was lost and is found. At the end of the story, who's the lost son? It's the other son. It's the older brother. It's the respectable one. He's the one at the end of the story who's still outside. I think that's something of what Paul is doing in Romans chapter T. He's showing even the most religiously respectable person he's Jesus. Romans chapter 2, As I don't know if you found it, as, as Dick read it, um, you're kind of like, whoa, slow down, I just, whoa, I just need to catch the flow of what Paul's saying, and often is the case with Romans, and that's good. And not everything that's said straight away is, is kind of clear to us. This wasn't written directly to us, but wonderfully, by the Holy Spirit, God speaks to us through it. The main message, even if we want to read it a few more times and get the flow, is quite simple. Even the most religiously respectable person needs Jesus. So first, uh, Paul shows that although people's lives might look radically different from each other, if you get underneath, if you get to the externals, things are the same. Without Jesus, there's sin at work. If you like, in the the second half of Romans chapter 1 where we were last week, the spotlight was on the person who lived out kind of full obvious rebellion against God, the younger brother, uh, the the first son in Jesus' story, the the more kind of gem way of living your life perhaps. In chapter 2, Paul takes that spotlight and shines it on the person who's living life in full religious respectability yet against God. In Paul's day, this person would have called themselves a Jew. They're the second son. They're the older brother in Jesus' son. They're the kind of more Ethan way of living. It was the kind of person who would have heard that big list of things that uh, displease God and disconnect us from God. At the end of Romans 1, nodded their heads and gone, yes, aren't those things terrible? And then at work, they suddenly realized they'd forgotten to do something they promised to do for someone. And invent a bit of a story, a, a kind of plausible excuse for why they've not done it. And they need to keep up appearances at work. Or they find themselves daydreaming, kind of wishing they, were they, they had the life and the lifestyle of their friends or the person close by. Or they let their minds l- linger on the, the mental image of the attractive person who walked past earlier. Or find themselves looking online at photos and videos that require the private browsing tab or to delete internet histories afterwards. What does Paul have to say to that person? It says, verse one, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Things about how you live your life on the outside might look different, but under the surface, things are the same. If I had Gemma and Ethan, uh, if they were real and not just in my head, and they came and stood next to me up here, their lives would look totally different. Take them down to the hospital, put them on an x-ray, and you'd see underneath things remarkably similar. should be 206 bones in the human skeleton. Take a spiritual x-ray, and similarly things would be the same. Sin at work in their lives. Without Jesus, both are lost. Both face a terrible diagnosis. So even the most religiously respectable person, verse three, without Jesus, is described like this. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you not think? uh, Do you think you will escape God's judgment? See, you can rebel against God in a very dramatic way. You can rebel against God in the most respectable way. Either way, there's no excuse, there's no escape, uh, there's no exemption. And God's held back from his judgment. Not because he thinks people who live like this, well, it doesn't really matter, or that actually we're just quite good at hiding it. It's not because of that. In fact, there's a day coming. If we have a look at verse 16. You've got your Bibles open on page 1129. He says there is a day coming when God will judge people's secrets through Jesus Christ. Not just the things known about us, but the things we don't share with anyone. Those things in the darkest closets of our lives. God holds back from judgment now because because He's kind, He's merciful, He's patient, and He's giving opportunity after opportunity for people, however their lives look on the outside, to come to Jesus, to repent to be welcomed home by their heavenly Father with great celebration. So if the first thing Paul shows is that without Jesus, every human, however different their lives might look, are in the same boat, the second thing he shows is that God's judgment on people will be the same. God's judgment is totally fair. So we see in verse 6, it says... um, God will repay each person according to what they have done. See it again in verse 11. It says, "God, For God does not show favoritism. God is totally fair. When it comes to God's judgment, Paul says, there are two groups of people. Now, we might divide people like this. The Gemma's on one side and the Ethan's on the other side. It seems God divides people like this. The first group... Uh, we find in verse 7, that they're described as those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, uh, who we're told will be given eternal life. Uh, those in, in verse 13, we're told who obey the law. It's talking about um, the way of life that God gave to his Old Testament people through Moses. They're going to be the ones who are declared righteous. Uh, verse 25 onwards, it's the person who obeys the law. So that's, if that's the first group, second group, well, they're described in verse 8 as self-seeking those who reject the truth and follow evil. They're the ones who later on in verses 25 onwards, who, who break the law. Again, talking about God's way of life given to his people in the Old Testament through Moses. So we're left with a question. Who, who, who are these two groups? Who are these two groups? Is, is Paul teaching that you can be made right with God based on what you do if you manage to do it perfectly. Well, it seems like some people would, would look at these, these verses and, and say, kind of. That first group describes the standard that needs to be met for someone without Jesus. But because of sin at work in everyone's lives, no one's able to live that out. Not even the most religiously respectable person. No one comes close. And if that's the case, we're we left without hope. But there is one. There's one who in Matthew 5 says, do you not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's one way of looking at that, that first group of people. Uh, kind of, it's a hypothetical. The other way of looking at it uh, that others uh, talk about is that this, this first group of people are those who've repented and put their faith in Jesus, whose direction of life is a a seeking to live God's good ways with with persistence, with patient endurance. They're able to obey the law of God, uh, that, that law that came through Moses, because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life of love, with love being the heartbeat of that law people land in different places. For me, reading it personally, I think Paul has Christians in view in this first group. Uh, You can tell me later on why I'm wrong. But either way, however you look at it, you can land with Paul in the same place that without Jesus, everyone will face wrath and anger, trouble and distress because of God's judgment. It's either God fits that first group perfectly and lives it out for us or it's us, as Christians, being equipped to live it out because we belong to Jesus. However which way you look at it, it comes to faith and reliance on Jesus. The world is made up of two groups. It's not your Gemma's and your Ethan's. It's those who have faith in Jesus and those who don't. Those who have uh, repentant, have repented. Those who have circumcised hearts, those who, through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, are, are dedicated to God. It's not your Gemmas, it's not your Ethans, or in first-century terms, it's not your it's not your Gentiles, it's not your Jews. God's judgment is totally fair. He will repay everyone, each person, according to what they've done. For how we live reveals what we've built our life on, and that is what matters to God. Have we built our lives on the Lord Jesus? Or something else? In Romans chapter T, Paul is, is showing that any route the respectable religious person might try and take to be right with God without Jesus is a wrong turn. It's a bit like me. Um, east after, after Easter. So we went away for a week to the North Yorkshire coast and went for a glorious run one morning along the coastline on the Cleveland Way. Uh, beautiful. Turned it inland to kind of make it into a, into a circuit. I uh, knew I had to get to a caravan park. I managed to navigate my way to the caravan park. I knew at the caravan park. It was really obvious where the path was. Everyone told me it was really obvious. So I'm running along and suddenly the sign says, Private Woodland. No public access, okay, so it's not that one. I run a bit further, and I'm starting to run through the undergrowth, brambles cutting my legs, and I get to, I suddenly have to stop because there's quite a drop to a stream, and I could tell there once was a wooden bridge, but it's rotted through. I leapt over it. I found myself in a field with no chance of getting through. So I have to backtrack. I backtrack all the way back to the caravan site, and lo, behold, there's a (laughs) blooming obvious sign saying, this way, and I missed it. If you like, Paul. In Romans 2 is doing that for the respectable religious person. You can't go these ways. got to get to Jesus. Even for the Jew who had been given the law by Moses from God as a way of life. That was a huge privilege to know what God is like and what he likes. But that in itself doesn't make you right with God carrying the mark of belonging to God's people. The mark of circumcision had massive value, but without a heart of faith, it was just that, a mark on the body. I guess in the same way, one of us could be known for knowing our Bible, for belonging to the local church of Longinston Luke's, uh, for having been baptized and confirmed, uh, have all that as a reputation, but if it's not matched by the inward reality of faith in Jesus, if it's not flowing out from that, then the outlook's bleak. Because we're told, verse 29 at the end, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Now, it's, just not, it's not talking here, Paul, particularly, specifically about ha- having sort of Jewish ethnicity. To be Jews to belong to God's people, God's people. You belong to God's people inwardly. Circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So where does this land for us this morning? How does this land for us? Well, we need to hear without Jesus, even the most religiously respectable of us, the most Ethan-like of us, without Jesus, lost. As lost as the older brother in Jesus' story. And we'll face the consequences of God's fair judgments. And if you're here this morning, maybe outside, life looks quite respectable, quite religious. But you've never really seen your need for Jesus. Hear Paul in Romans 2. You don't need to try and hide or excuse away your failings. You can come to Jesus in repentance and receive forgiveness. To receive the Holy Spirit who begins to put our lives back together. But, but I imagine for most of us, the work of the Holy Spirit has begun. be moved out of facing the consequences of God's judgment. Because Jesus has taken that for himself on the cross, as as Paul will outline so beautifully for us in the coming weeks, the rest of Romans. Let Romans 2 nudge you to continue to hear with your ears praise from God rather from other people. There is praise from God for you when you belong to Jesus. Because when God looks at you as someone whose life is wrapped up in Jesus, he delights in that because he loves his son. Jesus doesn't just put up with you. He loves you, delights in you. Before you've done anything today, before you even got out of bed this morning, before you even woke up this morning, that love was there from God to you. the same love that he loves his son with it means whoever you are it's when you are not defined by your worst failure it also means you don't have to try and stand on your greatest success and so as we tune into that picking up rob's terminology here as we tune tune our radios, as we tune into god's praise we will be more and more united as a church community. No one needs to measure how they're doing by looking at how other people are doing. The Gemmas and the Ethan type of people are brought together and led by the Spirit to live out a Jesus lifestyle. No one looked down on, no one feeling like they're looked down on. Our life together is, is, is not just for when you think you've got life sorted. Then you can come to church on a Sunday. Then you can start going back to small group. No, our life together is for when life is messy and complicated and broken and painful and we've got it wrong. As we tune into God's praise, we'll be more and more united as a church community. As we tune into God's praise, we'll be more and more unashamed of the gospel. We are only here because of Jesus. Our hope in light of God's judgment is only because of Jesus. Our forgiveness is only because of Jesus. Our lives being put back together by the Spirit is only because of Jesus. Our eternal security is only because of Jesus. Only in Jesus is God's righteousness revealed and his righteousness given to each one of us. It means Jesus is for the Gemma's that we know and that we love and that we sometimes despair of. It means Jesus is for the Ethans. We know and we love and we kind of want to live next door to us. Can I invite you to stand? As the band get ready to, to lead us in song, let's just take a, a moment of quiet and then I'll, I'll lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that when you look at us, you can see it all. There is nothing we can hide from you. And Lord, thank you that that does not lead us to despair, but to hope. Because you sent Jesus uh, to take what we deserve and to make us right, to make us yours, to welcome us home with great celebration. Lord, would your Holy Spirit continue his his great work of forming us as your people. Would our ears be tuned in to your praise. Would we be united and unashamed to be all about Jesus? Amen.